Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to the Faces of TBI podcast series. My name is Amy Zellmer, and I am the founder of FacesofTBI.com and the host for today's podcast. The goal of this podcast series is to help bring awareness to traumatic brain injury, and it is created by survivors for survivors. Each week, you are going to hear um, podcasts with interviews from other survivors, caretakers, medical professionals, and other people involved in TBI awareness in an effort to help raise more awareness about this invisible injury and also as a way to help unite and educate fellow survivors. Those of you who might not be aware who I am, I am a TBI survivor. I fell on a patch of ice about 22 months ago, and I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, writing mostly about TBI, so be sure to check me out there. And I also volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, And I created FacesofTBI.com as a place where you can follow my blog to read more about me and my journey, as well as sign up for my TBI Awareness Newsletter, learn more about upcoming podcasts, and check out my recently released book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can also follow me on Twitter at Amy Zellmer and like our page on Facebook as well. Now, this afternoon, my guest for you is James Hoyer. He is also known as Hoyer the Lawyer, and he is a personal injury attorney located in Minneapolis, and he himself has experienced a TBI, so he can relate to his clients and the invisible struggles that they are going through. So welcome to the show, Jim. I'm so glad to have you here. Same, Amy. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here with you and uh, support this great work that you're doing. Thank you. So, Jim, briefly give us a little bit of background about you um, and how you've kind of come to specializing in this area. Well, it started way back in the day when I was in law school. I started working for a small law firm that uh, did insurance defense work as well as plaintiff's work, and one of the principals in the law firm's father uh, owned a couple of insurance companies, and I learned how to... uh, handle claims, uh, insurance claims from the side of the insurance company. And having worked on that side, I just decided that I wanted to be on the side that was actually helping people and not helping big corporations get more profitable. So I uh, started with a, a general practice out of law school. And then as my reputation built up and I received referrals from satisfied clients and friends and lawyers, uh, basically turned my entire practice into handling personal injury cases for people that have injured, uh, not for the insurance companies. So I never have defended insurance companies once I passed the bar and became Hoyer the lawyer. <laughs> and you yourself sustained a traumatic brain injury at one point as well, correct? I did. So it's just crazy. It wasn't something I was trying to do to better relate to my clients. But um, I'd, <laughs> I'd had not. the misfortune yeah. of, I know, I've had the misfortune of being in a couple car accidents, and um, one resulted in an injury to my neck, and, and we got through that process. And then uh, a couple years later, uh, I was coming home from uh, a meal and, and uh, stopped at a stoplight a couple well, in less than a mile from my home and was rear-ended at a high rate of speed by a car that 
uh, truck actually that smashed a car into the back of me, and I got my head, my bell rung pretty good, and it was um, my first taste of, a, of TBI. I'd been a, a college football player, and you know now in the year 2015, almost 16. There's a lot of conversation about concussions, and there's a movie coming out regarding football players and concussions. And I remember being in college, um, having a couple incidents where I actually had a concussion, got knocked out. And the irony of it was is that I was a defensive player, and the uh, person that I ran into was the offensive player. He became a defense lawyer, and I became a plaintiff's lawyer. So um, <laughs> it's kind of funny how things work out over the years. Um, but that, you know, I made it through that section with no real problems. I got through law school and uh, and, and really didn't understand it. You know, it was kind of like back then if you had you had a concussion, it was like, oh, yeah, you had a concussion, so you're fine now or, you know, go from there. And I became to find, I came to find out as I represented individuals who'd been, you know, in car accidents mostly that had, had head injuries, that this head injury thing is really something that's disruptive. Well, then I go back to about 1998 when I had my head injury, and um, it really, really took me for a loop. I, I did not understand um, the consequences and how it would affect me. Uh, I remember one, one glaring moment when I was uh, advocating on behalf of my client, and the adjuster who had a recorder on recording it was kind of picking on my client. My client was not, uh, he did not have an injury to his head, but he just wasn't really grasping the uh, nuances of of the claim process and what the adjuster was at. And I kind of lost my cool with the adjuster. And I, I literally had a breakdown after that. I, I stormed out of the office and, and I started thinking, oh my God, if I can't have somebody tell me no without getting into an argument, how am I ever going to negotiate and work on behalf of my clients? And um, the, the story had two happy endings. The first one was when I went back into the adjuster, I showed him a photograph of my total vehicle, and he goes, wow, Jim, now I understand it. And there's an adjuster. So this is a guy on the defense side understanding that the head injury was changed my personality, changed my ability to get along with people in the context of working and disagreeing. And, you know, the whole, you know, negotiation process for handling personal injury claims has to do with being able to give and take, and they're going to say no to your opening offer, and, and I'm going to say no to their opening you know, I'm going to say no to their opening offer. They're going to say no to my op opening demand, and that's that's how things go. Um, so when I remember Peter saying, I looked down at the uh, tape recorder and said, Peter, what about that? And he just hit rewind, and we rewound over the tape, and we gave the statement, and that was my first hands-on uh, scary moment about my head injury. Now, fortunately, a uh, little help with my neurologist and time, mine healed, and I was able to get back to um, essentially no residual effects of mine. But in the course of representing people for almost 40 years, I've come across numerous individuals such as yourself that have sustained head injuries and have had to develop all sorts of different coping mechanisms to be able to live everyday life and, you know, function in the community. Mm -hmm. So, Jim, I want to ask you, so whether someone's in a car accident or it's a work comp injury or, you know, whatever the situation might be, um, like I know one woman who slipped on, um, she was in the grocery store and a bottle of laundry detergent had leaked out and she slipped on that and landed on her head. Um, how, you know, a lot of people don't think about getting a lawyer involved and, 
I can understand, you know, I mean, I know how rattled my brain was when I fell. I didn't think straight for probably eight months. <laughs> so I can right. understand how that happens. Um, so what is your advice to people as far as getting a lawyer involved? And also, like, when it comes to work comp, you know, like they try and get you, you got to go to their doctors and you got to do exactly what they tell you to do, but you're still entitled to your own lawyer. So what kind of advice do you have for people? Well, that's a what I would call a compound question. You've t- covered mm-hmm, multiple right. topics, so <laughs> I know. let's just let's just start. I'm gonna I'm gonna start right break with the beginning, and and I'm gonna break it down through all the different elements of what we've talked about today. So there is the simple negligence case, which would be the slip and fall at the grocery store or someone's home. Uh, there is the auto case, in which you have two facets of that case in Minnesota. Uh, in Minnesota, we're a Minnesota no-fault state, which means that no matter who's at fault at the accident, everybody's own insurance company pays their medical bills. And then if there is a claim, which I'll discuss later, then you could proceed after the insurance company for the at-fault uh, for the at-fault driver. And then finally, that area of workers' comp that you brought up. So let's go back to the most commonplace um, occurrence, and that's an injury uh, that happens at the grocery store or probably the number one place and people kind of chuckle about this, but the number one place to have an accident is actually in your bathroom. There are more um, accidents that happen in the bathroom (laughs) than anywhere else. And if you think about it, you've got water, you've got electricity, you've got tile, you've got glass. I mean, there's all sorts of things that can happen. But the typical things like you talk about is either a grocery store or perhaps a snow and ice incident, which you're very uh, aware of what can happen. So in that situation, um, there has to be a fault. The first thing you want to look at is, you know, if, if you were intoxicated, went running out in, in your slippery shoes and you slipped and fell, probably not going to be a good case of fault because that was something that you did on your own. But what you want to take a look at and, and, and how the facts come about is, was it your fault or was it someone else's? So even if it is your fault and it happens on, like if you came to my home and in that example I gave, if some individual comes to my house, they're totally intoxicated, they don't tie their shoelaces, they trip, they fall, they get hurt, there is a provision in my insurance policy called medical payments coverage that will pay uh, various limits anywhere, usually from 1000 to $10,000, of medical payments coverage regardless of fault. So if you're, even if you're at fault and you get hurt somewhere else, many times there is an insurance policy that will cover your medical bills. And now with, with Obamacare, we're all required to carry insurance, so we're seeing fewer and fewer people that don't have some kind of insurance, but there may be co-pays and deductibles, and that's where a medical payments right. coverage would be very handy to uh, you know, cover those kind of things. Now, if you are in that grocery store scenario and somebody in aisle two uh, dumps out a bottle of oil and it stays there for a while and you slip and fall, you would want to get a lawyer. I mean, I would suggest consulting. Whenever you have an injury or ever have a question that has to do with law, get a lawyer because the insurance companies train their adjusters. They train their adjusters to try and work people from getting a lawyer. Now, why would they do that? Because Allstate Insurance used to do that in car accidents, and they ran a study and showed that individuals that get a lawyer end up receiving three times more than individuals that are unrepresented. So it's in the insurance company's financial best interest to have you not get a lawyer. So that tells you right away, if they don't want you to get a lawyer, get a lawyer. And the advantage about getting a lawyer in a a case such as this 
you are not going to pay a fee 99% of the time unless the lawyer makes a recovery for you. So I frequently get calls from individuals with questions about do I have a case, and I will you know, listen to the facts and make a decision about whether or not, one, it's a case, and two, if it's a case that I want to handle. But if I take it, I would only charge a fee if I make a recovery. So the, the big answer is always call a lawyer. If you can't find one, ask a friend, ask a doctor. If that doesn't work, then go to the Internet. And then my last suggestion is watch TV because there's all these lawyers advertising um, <laughs> yeah. how good they are. And uh, it's like, you know, I don't do that. I'm, I'm fortunate enough that my reputation as Hoyer the Lawyer gets me a lot of people to say, hey, call Hoyer the Lawyer, they'll take care of you. But those are the ways that you would find a lawyer. Um, so to go back to your, your example there at the grocery store, um, if it is the grocery store's fault, and, and just to simplify it, the grocery stores and, the, and those kind of places where people fall, uh, other people's homes, there have to be some kind of notice generally to the individual uh, or the entity that there was a dangerous condition. So, for example, if somebody spills water and they walk away and no one knows that it happened, it's pretty hard to hold the grocery store responsible for that. Um, I had a case out at the Mall of America where um, there was a spill and the employee knew about it, and instead of waiting for somebody to come and help out, uh, he just left and there was no notice, and my client walked um, right through the slippery spot, fell, broke his shoulder into a wall, and that was a situation where the Mall of America was responsible because their employee knew about a dangerous condition and they didn't fix it. Um, a lot of times we see grocery store cases that we don't take because the woman in front of me or the man in front of me, you know, dropped the asparagus as they were walking to the oranges and the grocery store had no notice of this condition and then they couldn't be held responsible. So that's typically what you're looking for. Right. How did it happen? Did they have notice? Did they have an opportunity to correct it? Okay. Um, snow cases Jim, is another one. Again, yeah. I just want to kind of interject that if you're unsure if someone should have accountability, call a lawyer. Um, most exactly. lawyers will give you an hour of their time for free. Um, right. Just a half just hour. To see if, if there is a case. Half hour, hour, right. Yeah. So it's right. worth giving someone a call. Oh, definitely. I mean, I get calls on medical malpractice cases all the time, and, you know, we, we will talk to somebody on the phone for five or ten minutes to determine whether or not there's a case. There's a lot of times that, you know, there are bad results that happen from surgeries and procedures, but it doesn't rise to the level of malpractice. Um, but those are the kind of things where I'm happy to talk to anybody and see what the facts are, see who the doctors are, see what the occurrence was to make a determination as to whether or not there's a claim. So myself and most everybody I know from the Minnesota Association of Justice, the uh, used to be called the Minnesota Trial Lawyers, and now it's the Minnesota Association for Justice. It's more of a, a consumer-driven uh, entity. You know, we we will generally give people, you know, an initial consultation at no cost. And then, as I stated earlier, uh, we wouldn't even charge until we made a recovery. So um, for sure get a lawyer because the other side even if it's an adjuster, they're well-schooled in the law and they're um, trained to pay as little as possible. Back when I was an adjuster, uh, my boss said I had the greatest job in the world. I gave money away, but you only give it to the people that deserve it and you don't give them too much. And, and that's basically how the insurance companies are trained. I mean, they're there to pay claims, just claims, not fraudulent claims. But to do that, the, you know, their adjusters are all trained to make sure they don't pay too much. So that mm -hmm. takes us back from the, from the grocery store case to back to something typical in Minnesota, 
slipping on ice and snow. And in Minnesota, uh, we as homeowners and business owners are required to keep our sidewalks, driveways, etc., cetera, uh, free of snow and ice. And there's liability that exists for the owner or the person that doesn't follow that standard of law. Now, if you get, um, like today, we had a sleety morning, and that if somebody had slipped and fallen on, in the sleet this morning, there wouldn't be a case because you really can't have somebody keep up with Mother Nature and try and keep the sidewalk clean while it's dumping snow. Um, but if, if that had been a condition that, for example, existed this Friday and they didn't fix it up, well, then maybe there might be a case. And so, again, every snow and ice case is different, and you know, I suggest consulting a lawyer and finding out if you have any rights regarding that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the general idea of, you know, a summary of, of what we would call personal injury cases that are not specific to, you know, automobiles or work comp. Any questions about that? No, no, I think you covered that very well. Okay. So the next area is autos, all right? And in Minnesota, we are a no-fault state, unlike Wisconsin. Um, And and under Minnesota no-fault laws, I mentioned earlier, if you run into me or I run into you, it doesn't matter who pays the medical bills because I will go to my car insurance and you will go to your car insurance. If the person that caused the accident, and then the person that caused the accident, their insurance company will be responsible for the, um, the fixing the, the, you know, the damaged vehicle, so any, any property damage, that type of thing. Um, but your company pays for your medical bills and mine pays for mine. Then there's a determination of who's at fault. And the driver, of the, the non-at-fault driver, the person that typically gets rear-ended or somebody blows a stop sign and runs into them, uh, that individual has a chance to make a claim against the at-fault driver's insurance company provided they cross what we call a tort threshold. And a tort threshold, simply stated, is either $4,000 of medical bills exclusive of x-rays, MRIs, other diagnostic testing, or 60 days of disability, and it doesn't have to be 60 days of continuous disability. It's just got to be 60 days. If you, if you were say you were unable to work two days a week and you could work three days a week and that took place for a year, then you would have, you know, you would have exceeded those 60 days and you could bring a claim. Uh, the other one is if you have a permanent injury. And the last one is if you have a scar. And um, the permanent injury doesn't have to be, you know, something that's totally debilitating. It's simply something that you might might get a little worse, might get a little better, but basically you're stuck with headaches or shoulder pain or a weak knee or those kind of things would, would probably get a doctor to write a report, uh, or not get a doctor, but would allow the doctor to write a report saying, hey, you know, this is the, uh, the rights that you have under Minnesota law. I've evaluated you. I think you have a permanent injury, and I'll write my report that says that. Um, and so the other interesting thing that a lot of people don't know about car insurance is that in Minnesota anyway, it's mandatory and uh, it's called uninsured and underinsured motorists. So if the vehicle that runs into you and causes the accident is not law-abiding, one, by following traffic laws, and two, was not law-abiding by having insurance, then your insurance company would provide coverage for your injuries that the other driver, if they'd had insurance, would cover. Um, and, and it's interesting to point out because we're surrounded by uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, and Wisconsin, uh, they're not no-fault states. And so they have totally different laws. So 
I always encourage people not to get hurt, but if you do have to get hurt, a Minnesota car accident with Minnesota no-fault insurance is the best place to have this bad thing happen because your insurance company will pay the medical bills. They'll pay up to $500 a week for wage loss. They'll pay mileage to and from your doctor. They'll pay for somebody if the doctor says you're not capable of cleaning your home. They will have some, you know, you can pay somebody to do that. If you can't maintain your garden or your lawn, uh, they and the doctor says don't do that, then they can they can help with that. So there's a lot of great benefits available in your car insurance, and uh, most people just pay the premium and and, and uh, never think they'll need it. But I'll tell you, if if you should be misfortunate enough to to need that car insurance, I will tell you that uh, it's a wonderful thing to have if you've got a Minnesota policy. Yeah, and um, oh, I had a point in my lost it. <laughs> Well, remember, um, we should be making oh, notes. Oh, I was going to say, I know. Well, it was something you brought up. But in in Minnesota, it's actually almost a worse crime to drive without insurance than it is to get a DWI. Like, Minnesota's really hardcore on that driving without insurance penalties. They Well, that's, that's a bit of an overstatement for the first-timer, um, but it, it, it escalates. So... A driving without right. insurance charge the first time is a misdemeanor, and then it escalates from there. So repeat offenses can become um, gross misdemeanors, and that changes the penalty from 90 days in jail and $1,000 a fine to $3,000 fine and a year in jail. And then they pull your driver's license, and, and that can start a vicious cycle because then if you don't have a driver's license, the insurance companies don't write, want to write insurance for you. Um, the first time DWI, the actual, the worst crime if anybody out there is listening in, tuck this one away, that it's a more serious crime to not take the test in Minnesota right now than it is if you take the test and have a high reading. Um, they, the legislature figured out that a lot of lawyers were telling people not to take the test um, because then it would be harder for the state to prove they're intoxicated. So they made it a worse crime to not take the test than it was to have your first DWI. I, I don't wish a wow. DWI on anyone, um, but know that they are enhanceable offenses and... Um, you know, if if you have a problem with alcohol or drugs and you get caught repeatedly, uh, you can end up with a felony, and it's not uncommon for somebody to end up with their fourth DWI and do four years in jail. So, um, you know, the legislature wisely has made this a very difficult, you know, a very, I'm sorry, very severe penalty because I have seen over the years many, many families upended because somebody was drinking and driving and crashed and, and caused the problem. So... Um, right. It's it's pretty crazy. Um. So we're down to about seven minutes left. So I want to make sure that you okay. touch on the work comp portion. That's so the next part of my schedule that? here. Yeah. Yep. yep. So work comp work comp is its own kind of beast. If you remember earlier on in our conversation, I explained to you that in a personal injury claim and in an auto claim, there are different rights regarding who's at fault. In, in, a, in a workers' compensation case, fault is not the issue. Um, fault is something that is conceded that if you're working and your employer and you get hurt, um, they're not going to argue fault. They're just going to say, all right, you know, the first three days you don't get wage loss, and then after that you do get wage loss, and you get, do get benefits. And I think you alluded to the fact about the doctors early on. You do get to choose your doctor, but you have to there's, – there's some – rules that they have about how you choose a doctor and when you can do so. Um, if, if you have a primary care doctor and you go to that doctor, 
then that doctor can refer you to other doctors. But if you do get locked into a doctor, then you really need a lawyer to help you make sure that you can get a doctor that's fair and impartial. Um, some of the doctors are known to be conservative and others are known to be more liberal. At the end of the day, I always tell my clients what's most important is you getting better. So, um, you know, if you think a chiropractor is going to get you better, then you should go to the chiropractor. But know that under the work comp law, you are limited on the number of visits that you can have without proving some extenuating circumstances, and that's where it helps to have a lawyer because the lawyer would know the exact details on what needs to be done to get that done. Um, the other thing, work comp, I mean, they're going to pay all of your bills. They're going to pay two-thirds of your wage loss. And then when you're done treating, there's different types of payouts in terms of how serious your injury was. And, again, that's something that you want a lawyer involved in so that the lawyer can advocate on your behalf to, to do that. Typically, the lawyer fees on a, in a work comp case are much lower than in an auto accident case because there's not, any, uh, there's not a battle on fault. Whereas in a medical malpractice case, the, the insurance industry for the doctors tends to really defend these cases vigorously, so the attorney's fees and the costs are much higher. So in a medical malpractice case, the fees are higher than they would be in a work comp, and then right in the middle you have the car accidents and the uh, ordinary, the slip and falls and dog bites. We see a lot of people with dog bite cases, which is another one where unless you pull Fido's tail, um, in Minnesota, dog bites are strict liability, and uh, that means the owner of the dog is strictly liable for the damages they cause. So, But we get away from work comp. So anything, other specific questions about work comp that come to mind? Um, you know, I guess one of the situations that I know of, um, they're basically telling him that he can't go anywhere else, that he has to do this and has to do that, Um how, and he probably doesn't have a lawyer. Right. He doesn't have a lawyer, so, right? There you go. Would that so, be I mean, it would be boring to our listeners to try and go through all the nuances of how it's done, but um, right. a skilled lawyer in the area of work comp will find a way to get you the treatment that you need. I mean, that's so, essentially then, that's part of what you're paying them for. And, I mean, I guess this kind of encompasses it, but I just want to say it so that people listening can can understand Um Sure. If you're not happy with the doctor you're seeing, like if you feel like they're just not listening to you or if they're, you know, not giving you any solutions or options, you have the right to go to another doctor. That's right. Right? I mean, no matter yeah, what. Yeah, but yeah, and again, no matter you should have a lawyer advise you. Right. And and I I would yeah, I would tell you, you you have the right to choose your own physician. I mean, it gets difficult under some healthcare plans where you've got to stay in network or out network that type of language, but at the end of the day, um, if the doctor's not sympathetic, and, and we see this a lot, and I have a lot of clients with traumatic brain injuries, and some doctors just poo-poo it, um, although I think that is mm-hmm. changing. I, doctors are becoming more aware as people find out that, you know, it's not just a concussion. It's a head injury, which is right. a brain injury, and, and their doctors are more in tune to that. But, you know, if you're not getting the care that you want, you should try and Find out, and I think organizations, the things that you do, um, you know, I've received many cases from people on Facebook where somebody says, boy, I need a lawyer, and and somebody that I've worked with before says, hey, call Hoyer the lawyer, he'll help you. The same thing works for doctors, you know, on on any of these um, chat line, you know, the the Twitter, whatever, any of these kind of social media things, you know, if, if you're having a problem with your doctor, 
post, find somebody to say, hey, I'm having, I've got this problem. Yeah. Does anybody know anybody? And that's a great way to find somebody that's sympathetic to what you're, what you're going through with your own unique injury because everyone is different. No two cases are alike. Absolutely, and that's so very, very, very true, that no two brain injuries are alike and no two people have there's, – there's no magic formula to know a recovery rate from a TBI. So, Jim, we're almost out of time, and I just really want to thank you for being here today and sharing your expertise. I think it's a topic that's really important um, and that a lot of people understand. So I really want to thank you for being here today and sharing your knowledge with our listeners. Well, you're welcome. It was an honor to be able to help you out. Um, We have a website, Hoyer Fisher PA. Uh, You can Google Hoyer the Lawyer, and uh, if anybody has any questions, I'd be happy to talk with them. Yep. Perfect. Thank you, Jim. And I will be sure to get a link to Jim's uh, website there for you guys at facesoftbi.com. So thank you again, Jim, for being a guest today. And thank all of you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the show today. And again, be sure to visit facesoftbi.com to listen to previous podcasts and to see upcoming topics that we'll also be discussing in the future. And feel free to shoot me an email, amyzalmertbi at gmail.com, if you have a topic that you would like to see covered. So, uh, again, just thanks, everyone, for being here today and listening. I thank you for being a part of my journey. Connect with me on Twitter at amyzalmer, and also be sure to like our page on uh, Facebook, Faces of TBI on Facebook as well. So thank you, everyone, and have a great day, and I'll see you next time.